0: Man, the book of Romans just kind of um, all hinges upon that gift that God gave us, the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It's just all throughout the book of Romans. Last week we picked up our study by looking at the last part of Romans 7 and the first part of Romans 8. Just a quick recap, if you weren't with us or you can't remember what I talked about last week or or you fell asleep, whatever the case may be, here's a quick recap. Uh, Paul was struggling with what he Uh, knew was the right thing to do but he couldn't do it and uh, and then there were some things that he didn't want to do and he was doing it anyway and and he came to the conclusion that he was a despicable man and then he said however the sin that lives in me uh, is is I'm not condemned, even though that sin is in me, I'm not condemned because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And then he goes on to say, and because of that, you don't have to stay in your sin. You don't have to stay a slave to your sin. You can be completely free from it. And that sin needs to be exposed. It needs to be brought out into the light. If not, then it will certainly Find you out. You can try to cover up your sins. You can try to pretend like there's nothing there, and you can think that you're hiding it from people, but you're not hiding it from God. And eventually, it's going to find you out. It kind of reminds me of the story of the young couple. They were about to get married, and the young man went to his dad and he said, "Dad, I'm really nervous. I don't. I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm apprehensive about getting married." And the dad said, "Son, what's the problem? What's going on?" He said, "Well, Dad, as you know, I've got really, really smelly feet, and it's really embarrassing." and I'm just afraid that my wife's going to find out just how bad it really can get. And she said, don't worry about it, son. Here's what you do. Just go to bed with your socks on. She'll never notice the smell. You're going to be just fine. Meanwhile, the lady goes to her mother and says, Mom, I'm really nervous about getting married. I'm very apprehensive because you know I've got terrible bad breath in the morning, and it's so embarrassing. And When my husband finds out, it's going to be a mess, and the mom says to the daughter, don't worry, dear. It's going to be fine. All you need to be, to do, is make sure that you get up early every morning before he does go to the bathroom. Don't say a single word. Brush your teeth and everything's going to be fine. Well, the wedding goes off fine. They're married for about six months. Everything's just going great. They keep their secrets safe. One morning, it's about 5 o'clock in the morning, the young man wakes up and he realizes that a sock has fallen off of his foot. He's frantically just rummaging under the covers. He's going crazy trying to find this sock. And all of this commotion wakes up his young bride. And his young bride pokes her head up in bed and said, What are you doing? And he says, Oh my goodness, you've swallowed my sock. (laughs) And we we can try to hide... We can try to hide some of the things that aren't right, some of the things that maybe stink in our lives, but, but, but I'm, I'm here to tell you um, it's going to find you out. You know, um, Eventually, some things are going to come into the light, and you're going to be found out. And we understand that our goal as followers of Jesus Christ should be To be as much like Jesus as we can possibly be. Not because we're trying to be good enough to earn our way into heaven. But because we love him and we want to be obedient. Because we can try to do all we can to earn our way. But we can't. We can never be good enough. And so our goal as Christians are to be as holy as we possibly can. Because that's what Jesus sacrificed his life for. And then we come to chapter 9, and Paul has just mentioned this freedom that we have in Christ. And I believe that his mind is taken in a little bit different direction. The Holy Spirit inspires him to start talking about his people, the Jews. And you can read along with me from Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll go down through verse 5 this morning. Here's what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome and understand that the church at Rome is predominantly made up of Jews. So here's what Paul is saying to a lot of his Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, Cut off from Christ if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise amen. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and and here's here's what I think he's saying. This is kind of the tone, I think, that this letter is, is carrying with it. He's saying, listen, guys, we know the truth. We have the truth. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. He's saying, I know there's a lot of crazy ideas floating around out there, but we don't have to guess. We have the truth. We know the truth. And the same is true for us today. There's a lot of junk that's being thrown around in our society today where we don't maybe know whether that's right or wrong or, or, or whatever. And, and, and sometimes some younger Christians who aren't as solid get sucked into some of those false teachings. And we have to understand, we don't have to fall into that. We have the truth. We know the truth and so, we just have to stick to that. But what does that mean to us? What does that mean that we have the truth? Well, here's the first thing that I think it needs, uh, that we need to consider. And the first is this. We've got the truth of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We've got the truth of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in verse 1, with Christ as my witness. That's not a bad by the way. Would you agree with me? To have Jesus Christ as your witness? I think I'm going to go to court with that every time. We have... Christ is my witness. Paul says this. I speak with, true, with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirms it. And so we've got Christ as a witness. The Holy Spirit is confirming it. What more do we need to know that we have the truth? There's a story that I recently read took place during the Depression. It's about this oil field that was on a sheep ranch and it was owned by a man named Mr. Yates. And Mr. Yates, uh, didn't have enough money to even make ends meet as a sheep rancher. He couldn't pay his uh, mortgage. He couldn't buy groceries. It was really, really tough like a lot of other people. During the Depression, he was in danger of losing his ranch. He had little money for clothes or food or anything like that. And he had to live on uh, government subsidy. And day after day, as he, as he grazed his sheep, he wondered how he was going to be able to make ends meet, pay the bills, so on and so forth. Then one day out of nowhere, a seismograph crew from an oil company came to the area, said, Mr. Yates, there might be oil on your land. And they asked permission to drill what they call a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. And at about 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve, right? Many of the early wells on the Yates field were phenomenally productive. The first five wells by the spring of 1927 produced an average of 9,009 barrels per day, far more than what they could store or move to anywhere. Production from that oil field peaked in 1929 with a total of, get this, coming from one field in Texas, 41 million barrels to this date, The field has produced more than 1 billion barrels of oil, making it one of the largest oil fields in the history of the United States. And as of last year, it was still producing a lot of oil every single day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the property, the rights to the oil became his. Everything that was on the land, the minerals, everything that was in the land, the oil, everything was his, yet he was living on government assistance. Mr. Yates was a multimillionaire, but he was living in poverty. He was Jed Clampett, but he was living like Ernest T. Bass. Right? The problem was this he didn't know the oil was there. He had, he had it, but he didn't know he had it. He just kept living his life like he didn't have it. Right? He possessed it, but he didn't have a clue what's that mean for us? Well, as far as oil goes, nothing. But as far as the way we live our lives, I think a lot of us Christians do the same thing. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And yet we live our lives as if we don't have a clue that he's there. We have unlimited supply of wisdom. We have... Incredible strength from God. We have courage that is available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit if we just avail ourselves to it. Yet we go on every single day of our lives living as if there's nothing different in us than when we, uh, than when before we became a Christian. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, church. That's God, right? God is living inside of us and 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 there's a holy spirit that is at work in us and he's at work in the world he's at work through his word and yet we continue to live our lives as if nothing is different in us listen to what john chapter 14 verses 15 through 17 says jesus was talking to his disciples he said if you love me obey my commandments and i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. The world cannot receive him because he isn't look, it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. Now the only way that we can know this power of the Holy Spirit is first of all, surrender our lives to Christ and to be baptized into him. If That's, that's the first step. You have to first surrender your life to Christ, acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repent of your sins, be baptized into him, and then we receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what, the, that's what Peter was talking about on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Each of you must first repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Without Jesus in your life, there's no Holy Spirit in your life. Doesn't that make sense? Well, Jesus sent His Holy Spirit to be with us after He left to be with the Father. And the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He guides us in truth. And and it's just like, well, one day He was talking to the disciples, Right? And he said this, this is later in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. He's talking to them, and and he's saying, listen, I'm going to go away. I'm not always going to be with you. But he says this in verse 25. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift Jesus gave us a gift. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or don't be afraid. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and the Holy Spirit leads us. And he, teach, he teaches us through scripture and he leads us through scripture and he leads us sometimes through just promptings. You ever had one of those promptings where you just feel like you need to do something and you do it and it's like, yeah, that was the right thing to do. I, think, I don't think you're that, I don't think I'm that brilliant. Sorry, I about said, I don't think y'all are that brilliant. That wouldn't have been very nice. I don't think I'm that smart sometimes to do some of the things that I know the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do. Can I get an amen? All right. Some of you were too forceful with that, amen, that I'm not smart enough to do. I appreciate that very much, right? The disciples, they were very upset with Jesus. No, it can't be. You can't leave us, Jesus. And this is what he said in response to their concerns, right? He says this, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. See, before it was a situation where they could only be in the presence of God when Jesus was around. But then after Jesus died and was buried, was raised again, and then went to be at the right hand of the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit. And so that way the Holy Spirit can live in each and every one of us and be at all places at all times. It's best for you that I go away because if I don't, The advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. To me, this passage just leaps off the page today. In our times, the ruler of this world, Satan, is trying to convince the church, and he's doing a pretty good job of it in a lot of areas. He's saying, don't preach these truths about abortion. Don't preach these truths about sexual immorality in all of its forms. Don't preach these truths about there only being one way to the Father. That's narrow-minded. That's bigoted. And that's what the world is saying to us. But Jesus has given us His Holy Spirit. And we have the power that comes along to preach the word because not only do we have Jesus as our witness, the Holy Spirit confirms that we have this word and we know that it's truth and we don't ever have to apologize for it. And we have to have the courage to speak the truth even when society is saying you're narrow-minded and bigoted. But here's the deal. Too many times... Christians act like. Have you seen the? Can I call fellow? Well, I don't even know if I can call them Christians. I think I can. The nut jobs at the Westboro Baptist Church, where they bick, they they boycott everything, and they're just so filled with hate, and they do all kinds, If you haven't seen these people yet, look them up. And I hate to, I hate to call people nut jobs that claim to be Christians, but these guys are out there. They're trying to speak. They're not even speaking the truth, and it's not even close to love. Our job is to share the gospel, share the truth in love, and let the Holy Spirit do His work. Many years ago, Billy Graham, when he was in his prime, he'd preach against sin, but at the same time, he would would always preach Christ as a way to escape from that sin. Right? And people responded. And what we're tempted to do sometimes is we're tempted to water down the gospel because we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody. If we don't tell them the truth, who's going to? The world's not going to. Entertainment industry's not going to. We speak the truth, and we do it in love, and I promise you, people will... Respond. Remember last week we talked about that instrument panel on the airplane and how JFK Jr. didn't know how to fly by using the instrument panel. He thought he was going up, but he was going down and it cost him his life. And we need we need to learn to fly by that instrument panel. And and we have to reclaim that boldness for truth and understand that God's word is this instrument panel in which we live our lives by. And we need to stand against sin We need to support causes that are on the front lines fighting this sin. But we also need to do this. We need to have a loving, Christ-like attitude. We need to have a non-judgmental, non-condemning spirit and speak the truth, but do it in love as Jesus did. Right? And that's not always easy. Because what we like to do is we like to win arguments, right? (laughs) Right? We, we we like to prove to somebody that we know what we're talking about. You think Jesus could have proved who he was long before he ever did? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he chose to not come at people with both barrels. <laughs> and we need to do the same. Now, there's a second truth in this passage of Scripture that I think we need to spend a little time on today as well. It's this. Paul was truthfully heartbroken. Not only did he have the truth, but he was... Truthfully, sincerely heartbroken. Look at verse two: "My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief." Anyone ever felt this way before? Ever had a heart filled with grief, maybe unending uh, sorrow. I felt sorry for people. I've had sympathy for people in difficult situations. There's been times where I've done things in my own life. That I've been completely sorrowful about. I remember one time I was in high school. I had a few friends over at the house. I don't even remember what we were doing, but mom had asked me to do something and I hadn't done it. And she said, Ronnie, I'm tired of telling you. And I don't even remember what it was she was asking me to do. It's probably dishes or something like that. But she said, Ronnie, I'm, I'm tired of telling you. I said, good. I'm tired of hearing it. I had this stupid idea that mom wouldn't do anything because I had some buddies over with me from high school, had a house full of people. I had this just really dumb idea that she's just going to take that and not do it. I was wrong. Uh, She slapped me across the face. I was a senior in high school. She slapped me across the face, and then I didn't even see her for three days. And then on the fourth day, the swelling started to go down a little bit. And and then I could see, okay, that's not that part's not true. But she did slap me. It was the last time she ever slapped me. It was the last time I ever talked to her like that as well. Uh, and if anybody's watching this, it's like, well, you shouldn't spank your children. You shouldn't, shouldn't do that. It's like, okay. Don't go after mom, she's in heaven. You can't go after her, you know. So I t- but my point is this, I was pretty sorrowful, sorrowful after that dumb decision that I made to talk back to my mom, and it was the last time I remember talking to her about that, but, but sometimes we, we, we make decisions that cause us sorrowful, but Paul's sorrow was different. It wasn't because of anything that he had done, and it wasn't something that was going to go away anytime soon. Paul said, my heart is filled with bitter bitter sorrow and unending grief. His heart was aching. It was breaking in two, and it wasn't going to go away anytime soon. And again, I'm sure that some of you have felt this way, or maybe it's something that you've done, something that's happened to you, someone that you love. Many of you have lost loved ones. Um, You're not going to see them on this side anymore, and I know that that's painful. It's really difficult to take. I get it. There are people from my life that have passed on, that um passed on not knowing Jesus they've slipped into eternity without knowing Jesus and and that's that's pretty rough when i think about that i've preached funerals of people um that didn't know Jesus some i, kn- I knew personally some i didn't know And and there's just a a difference in a funeral of someone who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't know Jesus. Those who know Jesus, it still hurts. But like the Bible says, even though there's grief, we we don't grieve like the world does. We have hope, right? Man, to to grieve with no hope, What is it that causes you the most sorrow? I know what it should be. It should be when you recognize that people in your life doesn't know Jesus. That's the thing that should cause our hearts the most anguish. To know that a loved one doesn't know Christ or isn't living the Christian life and they're not prepared to die and meet Jesus. When I sit and ponder the fact that I have a brother who is raised just like the rest of us siblings, there's five of us all together, the other four of us um, are believers, my other brother is a Jehovah's Witness and has denied the deity of Jesus Christ and when I think about that it's painful. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when I have a brother that sits there and says, no, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. And that if something were to happen to him before he repents of that, he's lost. You say, well, my, Ron, maybe not, you know. You're being a little narrow-minded. Maybe there, you know. Maybe Jesus isn't the only way. Man. I point you back to my first point. We have the truth of the Holy Spirit. We have the truth of His Word. And His Word says. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is our witness to that. The Holy Spirit confirms it. I didn't say it. I didn't make it up. That's what God's Word says. And and we have to bank on that. And. And sometimes when I ponder that for very long periods of time, it's pretty depressing. It's pretty heartbreaking. And it reminds me of Paul. And this is the third point of this passage of Scripture I want to share with you today. Paul was heartbroken over lost people. Look at verses 3 through 5. Actually, back up to the second part of verse 2. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul's thinking about his people, the Jews, and he's saying, I'm so heartbroken over the fact that they are lost. And he even takes it a step further. He says in verse 3, I'd be willing to be cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would mean that they could be saved. And so the apostle Paul knows that without Christ, his people are doomed. There is no other way that Jesus is the only way. And without Jesus, they they are doomed. And he's so overcome with grief, he says, in essence, I'm willing to be lost forever if it meant they could be saved. I was talking with Spencer about this this week we were having this conversation and he brought up Francis Chan and he was preaching on this one time and Francis Chan brought that that fact up that Paul said I I I I'm willing to be lost if it meant other people could be saved and Francis Chan and I agree with him I think Spencer does too he said I'm not there yet I, I'm sorry <laughs> I'm not sure I'm there yet. I, I know I'm not there yet. Now, I will say this. If it meant my wife or my children, my daughter-in-law, my grandson. you know, there are some people in my life that, that I, I think I could make that sacrifice for. Paul is saying this about a bunch of people. Now, he knows some of them. He knows a lot of them. But a lot of them he doesn't even know. He's talking to the Jewish nation, and he said, listen, if they could all be saved, I'm willing, I'm willing to go to hell. That's what he's saying. I'm willing to be lost if they can be saved. Thankfully, God doesn't ask us to do that. That's why he sent his son Jesus, so we don't have to do that. That's why when, when Caleb is singing that song, who am I that a king would live and die for? We are that precious to Him. And and, and that's why you sing that song, I was getting a little teared up. I was going to sing a little bit with you, and then I couldn't. Um, And I'm thankful that God does not ask us to do that. Right? He doesn't ask us to lose our salvation to save others. But I do believe that there are sacrifices that we can be making that will go a long way to save lost people, and we just refuse to do it. This is why we got to be willing to volunteer our time. We need to sacrifice some of the things that maybe we enjoy doing in order to invest time in the lives of other people. People are not going to naturally walk into the doors of the church and tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, I'm here to be saved. We've got to invest time in their lives. We've got to invest our money in people. And in the ministries of this church and other ministries. When we stop and think about all of the things that we spend our money on for pleasure. And we can, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with doing fun things and nice things. I just went on vacation, as you know, a couple weeks ago. I paid, was it $16 for a shake? Is that what it was? Something like that? I got a souvenir glass, though. <laughs> Yippee. I mean, that was great. <laughs> When I think about some of the things that we're willing to drop money on compared to what we hold on to our money tightly for in in church and other Christian ministries. And again, I'm not saying you can't do fun things and have nice things. I'm just saying that our giving should be a little more proportionate. Listen, when God asks us to give an offering, the Old Testament it was 10%. New Testament doesn't really give a specific amount, but I believe we are way more blessed in the Old Testament, and our giving should reflect that. But when He asks us to give an offering, it's so that the ministries that are out there and in here are working to bring people to Jesus, those ministries, they can continue. And that takes Sacrifice from us what are you willing to give up again I'm not saying you can't have nice things but the apostle Paul was willing to be lost forever because he knew the truth he knew what would happen to the people who didn't have Jesus in their life and he said I'm willing to be lost forever and yet we're not willing to give up time or a little bit of money a little bit of hard work My opinion is this, not only are we not willing to be lost so that others can be saved, I get that part, I really do. My opinion is there's not enough people in our churches who are even grieving over lost people. We might feel badly that they're lost, but when was the last time that you were genuinely like Paul? And could say, my heart is broken. It's filled with bitter sorrow. I have unending grief for those who are lost. Tony Campolo had a tendency to take things a little too far from the pulpit at times. Not a big fan of his, but he did do something one time that made his point, and I'm going to water it way down for you this morning. He said, There's a lost and dying world all around us, and you guys don't even give a. And he dropped an expletive from the pulpit. As you can imagine, the church was absolutely stunned. And then he followed that up by saying, what's even worse is that y'all are more upset over the fact that I said the expletive than you are that there are lost people all around us. And he got his point across, and I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but it did make me think, what do we get so bent out of shape over sometimes in church? It really doesn't matter all that much when all around us unsaved people are dying. We get upset over things that just don't matter sometimes. We have a tendency in our churches to major on the minors. Sometimes we're guilty of playing church while people all around us are slipping into eternity without Jesus. And that should absolutely break our hearts. We've got to wake up, church. We've got to get serious about reaching lost people. We've got to reignite the passion for saving people the truth of God's Word and through His Holy Spirit. And that's not going to start until you surrender your life to Jesus. Completely. Now some of you have already made that decision. If you already have made that decision, I encourage you to daily surrender your will to pray. God, give me that passion for lost souls. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Give me a passion for service. Give me a passion for generosity. Give me a passion for my fellow man. Some of you might be here today and you've never made that decision to... Surrender your life to Christ and be baptized into Him. That's where it all starts. That's when God promises to fill you with His Holy Spirit. We're going to offer a song of decision. And if you're here today and and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, we encourage you to come. Um, There'll be someone down here to the front to pray with you. Answer any questions that you might have, or maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're you're out there this morning, and and you'd rather reach out through our church connection number. Would you just would you just type the word "ready" uh, to that church connection number that you'll see on the screen, and we'll get back with you and talk with you about what you need to do. Can I get all of you to just agree to pray that our hearts? would be broken for the lost people of this community and around the world. Would you agree to pray with me about that? Everybody's at different places. Everybody's at different levels. But I just encourage you to be in prayer about the lost and your heart and your approach to them. Let's all stand together. And if you have a need, we encourage you to come.